Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, let's get it going. It is time for another stud cast. Hey, it's David Summers. Welcome in with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Here comes the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring and back into time. Let's get wild and wild and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud in the Great Smoky Mountains. What's going on, stud? Chase, man, just uh, just trying to stay warm, Dave. You know, I got a little too far north, maybe, you know, <laughs> leaving Florida. You know, uh, so we're having a little nasty day up in this part of the country. Uh, it's kind of kind of nasty, uh, cloudy, and cold. And just hoping to stay away from all that ice that's down in Texas this week. So, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> You know, yeah. and it's right on the edge of where we are. So uh, yeah. hopefully it's not going to slide over here into the Great Smokies, man. Yeah, in the hills and the mountains, you just don't need ice. All right, so I'm wondering do, who you got in the Super Bowl, stud? Who you who you pulling for in the Super Bowl? Oh, geez, man. Uh, you know, I was kind of pulling for uh, Burroughs, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, so uh, at this point, uh, you know, uh, I'm not so uh, into, uh, into it, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, obviously Mahomes is a tremendous quarterback, and yeah, I got boy. a feeling he, he's going to probably get it done again for him. You know, know. Uh, you, you got so. Jalen Hurts, uh, who is a, a former Alabama alum and has has had an amazing season, and possibly even the MVP of the NFL. So I think he's a tremendous quarterback and a young guy. Man, what a future he's got! Yeah, and, uh, and he's with a great team now. So. Uh, he may he may get it done this year, but if he don't, he probably will next year. Well, we got a couple of weeks to mull that one over. And speaking of a couple of weeks, hey, Ron, I think today we have to begin with the tremendous response of fans around the world regarding your last studcast. It was the first time you focused entirely on the upcoming Knoxville War back 44 years ago in 1979. A lot of listeners, many are saying, it was the best stud cast ever. So, hey, congratulations. Well, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, Dave, uh, I think because it was, it was a true story, you know, and truth that, what do they say? Truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, and you can't make up something like uh, what happened to me in 1979. Uh, it was definitely not a common event, man, in professional wrestling to have a wrestling war. Didn't happen very often. And, and they, uh, Gosh, you, I guess you can, can describe it as the perfect storm, maybe. That, <laughs> and it really almost ended uh, not just uh, the Knoxville career, but it's going to it's going to really uh, jeopardize this the Gulf Coast territory as well. So uh, uh, it would have could have possibly ended my career as a wrestler real early. Wow! So really, two territories were kind of hanging in the balance. Judging from the title of this studcast, this is number two eighty five. It's called Southeastern's Memphis Madness. We're going to be hearing more of it today, right? Right. We, we, uh, you know, we are. But but this time, it's, we're not, it's not going to be the entire studcast as we did last week. We're going to take uh, some quick dives into the last two weeks of cards. In the January of 1979, we'll talk about the TV results in both of the territories, the attendance for both territories. And uh, we'll also follow up on what it was continuing to happen in uh, both the territories that was making 1979 such a difficult year, man, for me and uh, for my companies. 
So hopefully we'll get into another learning tree question after all that as well, man. You know, I think one reason fans are so interested in wrestling wars and getting the inside story about what was going on behind the scenes in those wars is, is because they never had the ability to hear those kinds of things before. No, you didn't hear it from wrestlers, promoters, and certainly not owners of wrestling companies, that's for sure. Well, thanks to you, they're, of course, beginning to hear it now, Stud. It's really fascinating, and I've got a feeling it is only the beginning of this wrestling history and your side of the story that has really never been completely told before. Yeah, well, you know, what happened to me in 1979, man, is something that I've never spent a lot of time explaining to people. And because it was a back in the day, a kayfabe, obviously, didn't talk about things back then. And, and uh, everything in wrestling has changed dramatically, man, hasn't it? And by, now, by 2023, I mean, fans <laughs> now, they have access to everything, man. They, they know more about it than I do, man. So, you know, I have to admit, I got a sense of relief in the last Tutcast, really, by getting some of my long-hidden men inside secrets kind of out in the open by discussing the events in 1979. Yeah. I have a feeling as I continue to open these doors, man, that it's going to basically force me to take a closer look at myself as well. You know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to question others' honesty and loyalty. I always have, but, uh, you know, it, it may change all that for me, man. Especially back in those days, I, I questioned uh, the honesty and loyalty of a lot of those guys. So hopefully uh, it's going to help me turn loose of some of the pain, man, that I've kind of held inside for, for a long time, Dave. Well, so it sounds like not only the fans are going to be getting more from these studcasts, but you are too as well. Right. You know, I may be going to get as much from these stud casts covering 1979 as the fans, actually. So uh, so let's get right to it today, man. Uh, so let's ride right into this uh, this this uh, <laughs> this episode, which is called Southeastern's Memphis Madness. Uh, let's get this one started. So, uh, you know, then we can find out, uh, you know, what went on the last two weeks of January 1979 in both the territories. So I'm bringing another territory into these 1979 studcast. Obviously, I've already started doing that and because my father and his partner, Jerry Jarrett, were basically desperate to find help at that time for their Memphis territory, which was really in bad shape. And my partners and I, we had already given up on Southeastern Gulf Coast Booker, Robert. You know, he was going, he was heading into Memphis. Uh, and we all knew that. And, uh, and uh, we were all committed to, to helping him and helping uh, my dad and uh, Jerry Jarrett in Memphis. And in the last test, we talked about a total of seven wrestlers from both the Southeastern territories uh, arriving in Memphis for the first time on Monday night, January the 21st, 1979. And it was part of that arranged deal that Robert uh, could not book any of the wrestlers anywhere other than in Memphis on Mondays. That was the agreement that my father and I had. Okay, so Stud, was that agreement being followed through on? Well, to, to better cover that subject, maybe uh, of the next Stud cast uh, from 1979, uh, we'll include Memphis cards uh, on at least a once-a-month basis. So we're going to kind of find out uh, about once a month or maybe a little more often sometimes what's going on in Memphis. And so we sent wrestlers there to help support cards there on a regular basis. Since they were exceptional talent, we were had some really good wrestlers. Uh, they started to get over quickly, man, in that territory because they they didn't have that kind of talent there at that point. And the crowd started growing just as quickly in response to it, which that's only natural. you got great wrestlers. You're going to have bigger crowds. And many of those guys uh, we were sending had been part of Robert's crews for years. I mean, uh, Stalper and a lot of the, Roddy Garvin, a lot of these guys had kind of hung with Rob for a long time because uh, he, had, he had made him money. So many of those guys were, we were sending had been part of Robert's crews, as I said, and it was almost impossible for Rob as a booker, uh, for him at some point not to want some of those guys in his regular crew, you know? <laughs> so to work in all the cities, uh, 
every week uh, he, and, and on every town, that's what he would like to have happen so that the entire Memphis territory could benefit from having these guys rather than just the city of Memphis himself, itself. And uh, obviously that would have gone to jump crowds, not just in Memphis, but in Louisville and Evansville and, and all the cities they were running that territory. Mm-hmm. So that that's what began to happen early 19, 1979, and the terms of the agreement basically was lost, uh, you know, uh, and it was hard to blame Rob for it. You know, as a booker, his job was to grow their business. Every booker was hired to make business better. So slowly, basically over a period of weeks in early 1979, as the Memphis crowds grew and grew big time, much larger, and the payoffs that came with that growth, uh, uh, some of the southeastern wrestlers and even the Knoxville wrestlers started mm. giving their notice, man, and, and they wanted to go work in the Memphis territory. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, uh, I kind of expected it in a way. Well, it, it doesn't seem right, though, Stud. That was not the agreement you and your father had made that southeastern Gulf Coast wrestlers were only going to be available on Mondays for Memphis, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true, you know, and yeah, and and you're right, it wasn't right, Dave, uh, but but I'd committed to help them, man, and uh, they were my family over there, and uh, and uh, you know they so this this kind of brings us back to the southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, you know what was happening is there was a slow exodus of talent here, man, that was leaving not only south uh, the Gulf Coast down there, but uh, the Knoxville area too, and. Uh, and uh, when that was happening, I had a new booker, Louis Tillet, and uh, they were obviously leaving that new booker, too. And he was having to deal with this fact. Uh, pretty darn difficult. You've taken a great territory that was in good shape, and all of a sudden, crowds suddenly start dropping every week. And after, uh, and we had reached these record levels during that first year of operation. It was pretty difficult, not only for Louis, but for me and for, for the wrestlers, the guys that had worked there for a solid year. So, uh, you know, listeners are going to kind of be able to judge for themselves by simply hearing the last two cards that we're going to talk about in Mobile, Alabama in January of 1979. One of them on Wednesday night, January the 24th, the other a week later on January the 31st. And uh, it's going to be a reminder, everyone, you know, that the last mobile card we discussed, which was in Studcast number 283, right before these two cards we're discussing today, uh, was a double cage match. So I'm just going to type people back. And what we're going to try to do, Dave, is cover a whole lot this week uh, that – we have never tried to do this before, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to see how much we can get, my man, <laughs> in an hour or so. All right. So uh, I'm going to take us back, basically, to, to Studcast 283. Uh, we had a double cage match uh, in that particular um, episode. Mm-hmm. So the loser of the Southeastern tag match in the cage between the champions, who was Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden at that point, and they were against Don Carson and the Assassin, loser of the fall had to leave. So Robert lost that match. Uh, he was headed to, to Memphis. And uh, and uh, so the exodus from southeastern Gulf Coast kind of began slowly after that. Didn't happen overnight, but it started a little bit pretty quickly. Uh, Bob Armstrong also lost a cage match on that night with the Mongolian stalker, but it wasn't a loser lead. But Bob was already scheduled to go to southeastern Knoxville and had been for a long time. And I wasn't about to pull him out of that because he had been really great to spend a year basically by himself away from his family down there on the Gulf Coast. So let's ride into Mobile, man, where listeners can judge basically for themselves by simply hearing the drop-off in the talent. Uh, And these next two cards we're going to talk about on Wednesday, January 24th and uh, January 31st, compared to that double cage night that uh, we had in uh, episode 283. Uh, So... New Booker, Louis Tillet, uh, was facing uh, his his first match there. He was wrestling against the homegrown uh, New Mobile boy, Ricky Fields. Uh, Terry Gibbs was taking on Ken Dillinger. Uh, the wrestling pro was wrestling Buzz Sawyer. David Schultz against Mr. Wrestling Number 2. There was a new Southeastern champion, Mongolian Stomper, who had won against Armstrong in the cage, uh, managed by gorgeous George Jr., 
he was defending against Tony Charles. First time Tony Charles ever had a championship uh, match for the Southeastern title. Uh, then the new Southeastern tag champions, Don Carson and the Assassin, who won the belts on that same cage match event. Uh, and they were managed by Billy Spears, who was defending against the new team. Robert was gone, obviously. This time they were going to be defending against Jimmy Golden, and he was going to be teaming with Norvell Austin, who was becoming a really hot baby face. He was really getting over. Oh, no doubt. So it's still a really good card, Ryan. So, But I can see where the loss of two top baby faces, like Bob Armstrong and your brother Rob, in one night you lost them both, was definitely going to hurt business. So what was on the second Mobile card a week later? January 31st of 79. Well, the opening match on that one, man, uh, featured the first wrestler brought in by the new booker, Louis Tillet. And uh, this guy was a young kid, 21, 23 years old at this point. Uh, but he was a shooter. He was, In fact, he was a tremendous collegiate wrestler. Uh, good enough, uh, you know, to prove that wrestling was real. Uh, his name was Herb Calvert. He was born in 1956. He became a, a champion wrestler. Uh, one of the greatest at the University of Oklahoma and later was a famous as professional as the original spoiler. And I know there'll be some fans out there recognize that name. Uh, so Louis Tillette's role uh, for this wrestler was similar to the one that I used uh, uh, with Dale Lewis, man, in Knoxville in, our, in that first year there. And uh, Dale was also from the University of Oklahoma and a wrestling champion there, oddly enough. So every night, uh, uh, Calvert uh, and I had Dale every night wrestle in his regular match, and then he would take on wrestling fans from the audience to prove wrestling is real. <laughs> you know, and he, he pinned the thousand dollars on his lapel, and uh, yeah. you know if you could beat him, you got the thousand bucks. So Herb Calvert now he he is going to do the same thing in the Gulf Coast down there, and on his first night he's wrestling against Greg Peterson, and then after his win. He just got on the microphone and challenged everybody in the crowd. They never, they'd never seen him before, and he said, "You know, uh, I'm here to prove that wrestlers are the toughest people on earth. And uh, and if there's anybody out there that think you can beat me, uh, and you'd like to prove that I'm wrong, I got five hundred dollars here in cash, and uh, and I'll pay it. I'll give it to you on the spot. You beat me, and uh, you get five hundred bucks. Any of you? <laughs> I remember that guy stud." I was at several Dothan events in 1979 when he beat fans from the audience. He was a very convincing wrestler. So, all right, who else was on that last Mobile card in January of 79? Well, Ken Dillinger was on the second match, uh, and he got his second win in a row in Mobile. And last week, he had wrestled against Terry Gibbs, and uh, this time he won over Burhead Jones. Uh, Louis Tillette. And won his first match against Ricky Fields, uh, the last card that I just mentioned, and uh, and he got his second win in this one over Terry Gibbs. And Terry Gibbs was, uh, you know, another baby face who was leading southeastern Gulf Coast and on his way to Knoxville. So, you know, you got Rob, you got Bob, and now you got Terry Gibbs, you know. So uh, uh, it's getting tough for the booker. Uh, Buzz Sawyer got another win the week before against the wrestling pro and uh and he continued that winning streak on this card against ricky fields uh, jimmy golden and norville austin they had formed a new team and uh and a pretty darn good one the week before and uh and they had had their first tag title match with the champions carson and the assassin managed by spears and in that first title match last week on that card the week before uh billy spears had intentionally got his team disqualified to save their belts so all four of those guys were returning in this second week uh, on the 31st uh, in another title match. This time it was a no disqualification rule to it, uh, you know, and uh, Jimmy Golden and Norvell, they won the Southeastern Tag Belts that night. Uh, by They took advantage of the fact that they couldn't get disqualified, and they cheated a little bit instead of Spears doing it, and they won themselves the championship. And in the last match, uh, the new Southeastern champion, uh, you know, had won the belt. Uh, Tony Charles had beat uh, the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. in the week before. Uh, he was defending it for the first time this in this show against David Schultz. Uh, 
And Louis told me that, uh, you know, they, that they had a magnificent 45-minute time limit draw, man. Uh, and they, he said it was one of the best matches he had ever seen wow. between David Schultz and um, Tony Charles, and I wasn't surprised by that. He said it absolutely tore the Expo Hall crowd up, man, and uh, mm. they were returning the next week in a one-hour, 60-minute time limit match, uh, which is going to be in probably next week's studcast we'll be talking about. Wow. Okay, so it sounds like two weeks – of very exciting matches in Southeastern Gulf Coast. So how were the TVs? How did you set everything up with the TVs? Well, Louis Tillette is a new booker, man, who was trying to get a feel for this inherited crew he had had. You know, he, he didn't need it. This wasn't his crew, and he kind of got it. He got these guys to like them or not, you know, and and it wasn't uncommon for a booker to try to get a feel for his crew, and, uh, and it wasn't uncommon, but it was kind of uncommon to be thrown into the fire like he was here at this point uh, with guys leaving and uh, things going on that he wasn't aware of. Uh, then Charlie Platt, uh, you know, Charlie ended up being my only reference uh, for information about these TVs. Uh, when Rob and Bob were there, you know, I could talk to them about the televisions. And I got their ideas of what the TV was like. And so now I really had to depend on getting all my information about the TVs from Charlie. So Charlie said that uh, both different combinations of matches, he said uh, it seemed like Louis put a lot of thought into the guys that he put on the shows. He said the first show, which was done on Saturday, January the 20th, 1979, that's the one that promoted his first card we talked about on the 24th, had Jimmy and Norvell getting their first win as a team. As a team on TV, they had just made it. It was the first time they were ever put together as a team. Uh, Billy Spears and his new champions, Don Carson, the Assassins, Rob had to leave town, and Spears bragged about Robert having to leave Southeastern Gulf Coast, Charlie said, and his team uh, and was meeting uh, Golden and Austin and Mobile in four days. He was looking forward to it. Gorgeous George Jr. and his stomper, uh, they watched the stompers win in the steel cage over, obviously, the very popular Bob Armstrong. Uh, Gigi was ecstatic about that win and uh, and and it, be, and it being the end of Bob Armstrong's year-long run there, which it was just about a solid year that Bob had been down there in the Gulf Coast. Mm. Then Louie got his first win on TV. He's the booker and he's going to be wrestling some. Uh, then fan favorite Tony Charles closed out the show and uh, he got another win. He was going to be facing the Mongolian stomper for the Southeastern belt on that show. Uh, mm. the upcoming show. All right. It sounded like a great show. What about the second TV show? Let's jump to January 31st, that event. Well, Charlie said it was another good one. Uh, Tony Charles started off with a video of him winning the Southeastern belt from the Mongolian Stomper. Uh, then David Schultz was in a live match where his opponent basically had to be carried from the ring, which wasn't un uncommon in the Schultz match, especially with TVs. He wanted to get over, man. And he, he did. He had no pity on those job boys. Wow. And uh, yeah, so this one had to be carried from the rings. And, and then the interview followed between Charles and Schultz about their upcoming championship match. Uh, Buzz Sawyer. Was then the next match, and he got another one of those brutal TV wins that he was famous for. And the second job boy, back-to-back, -back, had to be carried out. Uh, Herb Calvert was introduced on the personality profile on this show, uh, and he boldly challenged any fan. You know, basically, uh, Charlie said, he said, any fan that's got the guts and I think you can beat a wrestler. Now's your chance. <laughs> and he held up five $100 bills and said, come and get it. If you think you're a man enough, come and get it. And uh, then he went straight in the ring and he beat his opponent with the sugar hold, man. So <laughs> he was serious. He was one to make an impression. Uh, <laughs> Golden and Austin then joined Charlie at the set uh, to watch their disqualification win the week before when Spears intentionally saved his team's belt. And uh, it didn't bother Spears at all, though, when he strutted out with his new champions, belts and all, man, live in the last TV match. 
And all five of those guys were involved in that thing, were involved in the last segment, uh, were on the last interview, plugging mm -hmm. that upcoming Southeastern tag title match mm -hmm. with a no disqualification stipulation. That had to be a really good TV. So how about the attendances in all three of the major cities for these couple of weeks you're talking about? Well, you, you got to bear in mind, Dave, that Montgomery on that first night in this studcast had to be moved from its regular night of Monday to Tuesday because that was the Memphis card on January 21st that we sent so much talent from the southeast that we just changed Montgomery's night. It was the first time uh, we had sent wrestlers to help my father and my brother over there in Memphis. Uh, and so Montgomery actually fell. By a pretty significant amount to uh, from 3,900 uh, that was on that double cage night uh, to 2,900. Uh, Mobile fell off about a thousand fans as well. Uh, when you got a double cage match night, uh, you are going to take a drop anyway. But these drops were a little more than expected. Dothan dropped by 900 fans. Uh, so the three cities on that double cage night had a total of 14,100 fans. And then the next week on this this night that we're talking about, uh, the 24th of January, that 14,000 fell to just over 11,000. So the week of January the 31st, uh, uh, Montgomery had 3,100. Uh, it went up a little bit. Mobile went back up to 42 a little bit. And Dothana, there were up about 100 fans. Okay, so it really seems like you're really packing it into this one, Stud. It has been full of facts and information. So I'll tell you what, let's take our break here and come back. And when we do, we'll have the same two weeks of information about Southeastern Knoxville. And Stud, you said you had something special to share. You told me earlier before we started the show with us, and you'll do it on the break. And so now the floor is yours. I'm really excited about something new, man, uh, that's now happening on both the YouTube and the streaming channel. I just want to take a few seconds here to make fans aware of what we are now doing on the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. Uh, we've just started creating uh, short rides with the stud videos uh, to give fans the opportunity to find out more about all the fantastic things that are now going on on the ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel. The first of hundreds of these short rides with the stud are already on the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. And then the first ever encounter, uh, they include, these are ones that are already here, already there, the first ever encounter between Andre the Giant and a young Hulk Hogan is on there. A uh, short ride with Brutus and my popular novel uh, now being done uh, in audio version is there. And Andre the Giant short ride story from the two hour, 27 minute Stars of the Sports series that's on the on the, the, on the uh, YouTube channel. This is one of the uh, free one of the uh, specials on there. And this is a series that's on the Classic Continental. Uh, they're all going to be eventually uh that one series has 30 stars eventually. So, uh, you know, this is, and then coming soon along with these short rides uh, are going to be a Bob Armstrong from the stars of the sports series, a classic Wendell Cooley and Adrian street match from the continental wrestling series, a late 1960s tag match with Dutch Mantel and Ron Bass versus Rip Tyler and cowboy Bob Kelly from the Gulf coast series. Uh, TV short rides, uh, new short rides with the stud are going to appear on YouTube every other day or so. We're just going to cram them on there. So uh, don't miss these and subscribe now on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com uh, to get the long ride. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back in. Episode number 285, Southeastern's Memphis Madness. All right, Ron, so we're going to cover the same two corresponding weeks in southeastern Knoxville as we just did down on the Gulf Coast. The first week of cards and TVs promoting them was Sunday, January 28th of 79, and the second week, Sunday, February 4th. So what was the card in the Knoxville Coliseum on Sunday, January 28th of 1979? 
Well, our boy Charlie Cook, man, is up there, and he's really kicking some butt, uh, doing good. Uh, he opened things up, uh, facing off against the mighty Yankee, Dick Slater, who is in his third week in the territory, uh, is really making an impression, and uh, he was wrestling against Butch Malone. Uh, and it was the third match uh, against the assassin, uh, and uh, I was in that one, man. Uh, and this assassin was Roger Smith, who was the former partner of the present assassin that's still down there in Southeastern, Randy Colley. So, uh, you know, uh, nice to have Roger Smith show up in the Knoxville area, and, and I'm going to be wrestling against him on that week. Uh, the next match was for the Southeastern Tag Belts. Uh, new champions after winning the belts uh, the week before uh, were Crusher Blackwell and the Mask Invader, uh, who looked a whole lot, man, like Bob Orton Jr., man. <laughs> <laughs> against, and they were they wrestled against Ken Lucas and uh, Bob Armstrong. Mm -hmm. And then in a special strap match, Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan uh, was going to be strapped to tour Tanaka, which that ain't a good place to be, I can tell you that. <laughs> Now, Ron Wright was in the corner of Tanaka, obviously. And the last match uh, was another return match for the Southeastern Championship. Had Ronnie Garvin, the champion, against Bob Orton Jr. And uh, this one was going to have two referees, one inside the ring and one outside the ring. Wow, okay. All right, so that's a big-time card right there, Ron. I assume you want to give us the second card on Sunday, February 4th of 79. That's the same thing you did earlier for Southeastern Gulf Coast. Yeah, that works, Dave. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie Cook opened the card again, same as he did the week before uh, when he beat the Mighty Yankee. And this time he was victorious over Jim Dalton, who was a pretty good hand, man. Uh, had been around the country and uh, uh, not a bad wrestler. Uh, Ted Allen, who, was, uh, who wasn't on the card the week before, uh, but he got a win on this one, and uh, he got a win over the Mighty Yankee. Mike Stallings, uh, who also wasn't on the card the week before, is making his return to Knoxville. It's been a while since he'd been on the card there. And, uh, and, it, and not being on last week's card didn't keep him from winning on this one. And he beat uh, Butch Malone. And then the next match was the Texas Death Match. Uh, and it came about basically as a result of the main event from the week before. That's the one. Uh, it had two referees. Basically, for Crusher Blackwell, uh, they couldn't stop uh, Blackwell from coming down, uh, you know, uh, and getting involved, uh, trying to help Bob Orton Jr. He was basically wrestling Orton uh, against Garvin with the two referees out there for the Southeastern belt. And uh, here came big old Blackwell, man, down. And, uh, and uh, you know, he got involved in the match. And uh, then Dick Slater, which, who was a really good friend of Ronnie Garvin's, had been for years, came down to, to uh, take care of business on behalf of Garvin. And then both of those referees, wow, now there's four of them down there, and they were forced to stop the match, Garvin and Slater uh, versus uh, Bob Wharton Jr. and Crusher Blackwell was going to be the tag match uh, as a result of this, uh, and they are going to wrestle in the next week's card. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, that match, obviously, everybody got – there was no winner in that particular match. And uh, we talk about the Texas – and then the Texas death match the next week, Garvin and Slater won that one. So next match was a return match for the Southeastern Tag Championship. It was no disqualification. It involved the same men on this Sunday as it had the week before. It was Ken Lucas and Bob Armstrong were teaming again uh, after a double disqualification of both teams. The week before, against the champions, Crusher Blackwell and the Invader. Okay, so wait a second, Ron. Isn't that two matches back-to-back -back for Crusher Blackwell and Bob Orton Jr. if Orton was also the Invader? <laughs> was this another Bob Roop becomes the Destroyer angle? It sounds like it. Okay, so Blackwell and Orton Jr. had to be in tremendous shape to do that. And Blackwell only weighed 450 pounds. <laughs> That's pretty, uh, pretty astute of you to pick up on that, Dave. You know, I kind of asked myself the same question when I saw this. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, yeah, they did wrestle in both those matches back-to-back. -back. Uh, the Orton Jr. invader angle was certainly familiar 
to the old Roop and the Destroyer one, man. I mean, you know, we've seen Roop wrestle as two guys on the same card. Right. Now Bob Orton Jr. is doing it on the same card, you know. And uh, But the, the thing that really got me is how, you know, uh, Orton was a smaller guy and in great shape, but how in the world did the 450-pound Crusher Blackwell do that? Back-to-back matches. <laughs> and that question, I can't answer that, man. I can't tell you the answer to that. Uh, wow. Crusher Blackwell was a, uh, wow, he was a powerful son of a gun uh, and uh, an amazing talent. Oh, no doubt. All right, so what about the results of that Southeastern Tag Team Championship match? Okay, so Bob Armstrong and Ken Lucas, uh, they got their hands raised uh, by one of the referees. And then Blackwell and the Invader, they got their hand raised by a second referee who came down to get involved. So both of those teams had to leave the ring empty-handed, man. The belts were held up. And uh, the following week, uh, there's going to be a one-day six-team tournament. Uh, that'll be – we'll talk about that one next week. Uh, a six-team tournament that's going to – Crown new champions, man, to be part. Uh, and that's a huge card for next week. We'll get into that a little later. So the last match, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, Dave, was something uh, I can't describe, literally. Uh, you know, <laughs> And I know that Kevin Sullivan uh, was in the match against Tor Tanaka, managed by Ron Wright. Uh, and the week before, uh, in the no-DQ strap match, Kevin Sullivan had won. So uh, this second week card was headlined by something called a keg match, K-E-G keg. A keg, okay. Uh, Between Kevin Sullivan and Tor Tanaka. It was managed (laughs) by Ron Wright. And uh, I wasn't in Knoxville uh, or on that card. I was in Pensacola uh, to help fill the spots that was left by my brother Rob and by Bob Armstrong being up in Knoxville at this point. I went south to try to give support to those cards in the Gulf Coast. and uh, But I do know that Kevin Sullivan won the keg match. And uh, and knowing crazy Kevin <laughs> Sullivan, man, and, and with Bob book, Bob Roop's booking, uh, that could mean that Kevin won himself a keg of beer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the heck the deal a keg match was, and, and maybe Kevin was drinking beer, him and the boys the rest of the night out of the keg. Party! Okay, so another great two weeks in a row of cards. So how about the TV shows for these two cards that you just described? Well, the TV for the first uh, Sunday Coliseum show uh, was recorded the day before the event, naturally, on Saturday the 27th. The matches were on Sunday the 28th. Uh, That show was filled with stars. I know that. Bob Orton Jr. showed a video of his second Southeastern title shot in January against Ronnie Garvin. He was getting these championship matches, uh, and it basically showed that he had a need for two referees. Uh, One referee wasn't going to be able to – Keep these guys uh, from the, or give a, an Orton an opportunity to beat Garvin. So, uh, so on the third try, he was going to get uh, two referees in the, in his match against Ronnie Garvin, and that was going to be the following day in the Coliseum. And as soon as he finished this little opening of the show, he went straight to the ring, had the first match of the day, and a new team. Uh, with an upcoming Southeastern Tag Championship shot right off the bat, made their debut. They had never been on television as a team before. And Bob Armstrong and Ken Lucas tore the house down. Uh, Les said, wow, he said, they just run. It was amazing. Uh, and then Kevin Sullivan was on the profile. Ron Wright had never forgotten that bounty feud with Sullivan that was supposed to have ended months back. And that fact was kind of the focus on this profile. Uh, Kevin showed a, a pretty violent video from the Sunday event uh, six days earlier in the Coliseum where him and Ken Lucas, they were the Southeastern Tag Team Champions. They lost their belts to Crusher Blackwell and the new mask guy called the Invader. Uh, the video that they watched, it showed, um, showed Kevin uh, Tanaka getting involved in the match. He came down, uh, then Blackwell and, uh, Horton Jr. or the invader he's called in this match. Uh, Tanaka comes down, uh, when Sullivan was, uh, out on the floor, 
he hit Sullivan with a karate chop out there on the outside of the ring. Uh, and the referee was uh, on the far side of the ring with Lucas. And he had two. Lucas is fighting two guys at this point. Kevin's on the outside. Tanaka cracks him with a karate chop. He throws him back into the ring. And uh, big old Crusher Blackwell, 450 pounds, covered him, man. And, uh, and they pinned him for the, for the championship win. Uh, then Ron Wright came down to ringside, same video. It wasn't over. Uh, and, uh, Wright brings this Indian strap with him, uh, used in for Indian strap matches. So both the invader and Blackwell, uh, they had won the matches. They had received the belts and Lucas is kind of, uh, trying to help Kevin get up off the mat and they just grab Lucas. So both of them start working him over. And then, uh, <clears throat> Ron Wright, Holds Kevin Sullivan face first on the mat. He don't lay him on his back. He turns him over on his face and he sits basically on his shoulders or his head just about. Uh, and then uh, Tanaka took that strap, man. And wow, he went to work on Kevin, man. Uh, so the profile then, you know, uh, this is what the fans had seen and during this profile. And it was. He, you know, it wasn't that that was a violent enough thing. But then Les had seen Kevin Sullivan's back earlier before the TV started when he had his shirt off. And uh, so Les on the profile, you know, I just kind of ad libbed out of the deal. He says, Kevin, uh, before we end here today, he goes, uh, would you mind taking off your shirt? He goes, I'd like for the fans at home to see what the knock and Ron Wright did to your body and your back. And uh, oh, wow. so Kevin took his shirt off, man. And uh, that profile ended with a huge gasp from the whole studio audience, man. The big red blotches and stripes all across his back, man. It looked like he was, uh, he'd been beat uh, with, uh, you know, <laughs> he 40 lashes, man, or whatever the deal mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. you know. So um, pretty remarkable, uh, you know, profile. Ronnie Garvin then uh, popped in the studio, man, and uh, and the usual. Wow, he tore the crowd up. He in the third match, and then and afterward, he and Bob Orton split the interview because they had this upcoming match uh, for the championship with two referees. So uh, that was then. Tore Tanaka and Ron Wright was in the last TV match, and uh, when they came out to go to the ring, uh, Les said that uh, they had tremendous heat just from what happened in that profile and mm -hmm. seeing uh, Kevin's back. Mm -hmm. So Ron Wright uh, followed Tanaka to the ring and he was carrying the same Indian strap. This was this for a TV match. And then Tanaka uh, had used the same strap that he'd used. Tanaka had used on Kevin in the profile video. So uh, during Tanaka's match, uh, Kevin sneaked out behind Ron Wright, who was at ringside with uh, with this man and he knocked him down and he took the strap and he went in the ring after Tanaka and uh, mm. and he got a couple of good shots on Tanaka man with the strap uh, before Tanaka was able to escape uh, but the next afternoon those two guys were going to be strapped together oh no doubt all right so there was a lot going on in that TV for sure so what happened the next Saturday on the TV show promoting the card for Sunday February 4th well, I didn't see that TV. Uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was in Pensacola. I was already there on Saturday uh, for the event that was going to take place on Sunday night there. And uh, and I, I luckily had all these TV formats from all these years, man. Wish the heck I had the shows, but I had the formats. Uh, so I went back and looked at the format. Uh, and according to the Southeastern Knoxville TV format for the show of Saturday, February 3rd, 1979, the TV opened up with Kevin and Les at the set, and uh, they had a video of the strap match from, from the Sunday before between Tanaka and Sullivan, and uh, then Kevin went to the ring and wrestled. And uh, so then the second TV match uh, had to be a very good one, man. Uh, it was one of the first times ever for fans to see Ronnie Garvin team up with Dick Slater. Uh, what a foot of, wow, <laughs> scary team there, those dudes. And uh, they were scheduled the next day to meet Bob Armstrong, Bob uh, Orton Jr., sorry, and Crusher Blackwell in a Texas Death tag match. The profile had Ron Wright, Tor Tanaka on it, 
uh, format said it was about the upcoming keg match. And like I said, I can't tell you much about that. So <laughs> I don't know much other than what the format said. Third TV match was uh, with the returning Mike Stallings. Uh, he was, they put him on TV uh, because he had been over there really good. And, uh, and he, was, he was coming back and was going to be on quite a few cards. Last TV match was a Southeastern Tag Championship match. Because let you think about it, Dave. Uh, we're in the first week of February. Yep. Yep. And TV rating period, man. Yeah. So uh, we got the TV championship tag match on on TV for the very first week of that rating period. Uh, the champions were Crusher Blackwell and the Invader, and uh, they defended their belts uh, on television. I can't imagine what the audience is going to be like when they know the four hundred and fifty pounder is going to be on the TV show. That's pretty cool. Hard to believe it was already another TV rating period again. So that was probably a great TV, and luckily you had the format and that much information about it. So we've discussed both cards, both TVs, and the results of both week's matches. How about the attendance for those two events? Well, the first Sunday card, man, on January 28th uh, in the Coliseum drew uh, 4,800. And the second one on February 4th had jumped a little bit by about 300 fans to a little over 5,000 again, 5,100 in attendance. Wow. All right. I don't know how you did it, Ron, but you've covered two weeks of cards, TVs, match results, and attendances in both (laughs) territories. And we're still not finished with the show yet. So what what could be next? Plus, you spent some time explaining the Southeastern Memphis madness that was a part of your historic 1979 as well. All that, and we still have enough time for another learning tree question. No wonder these stud casts are on fire, stud. Oh, Jesse, you know, it's pretty crazy. That is a lot to cover, I tell you, Dave. Uh, so, you know... Uh, uh, but before we get to that learning tree, uh, uh, you know, I have one more thought, man, that, that occurred to me, man, just uh, just a few seconds ago about something that really I had never noticed uh, before I went through, uh, you know, uh, announcing these two southeastern Knoxville cards. You know, and I always believed that the two instigators of the Knoxville Wrestling War 1979 was Bob Roop and Larry Simon, the great Malenko. I know that uh, Ronnie Garvin was involved. Bob Wilton Jr. was involved. Uh, Ron Wright was involved. But those guys had worked for me for a long period of time, never had a problem. Uh, Bob Roop was new to the territory, and so was the great Malenko. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought that, you know, maybe those would be where things started, you know. And I, and I just realized after announcing these two cards that neither Bob Roop nor the great Malenko was on either of these two cards, you know, and, uh, and it kind of seemed very odd that the two wrestlers uh, that were least familiar with me of the five that left Southeastern, both of those were suddenly gone for, for these two weeks. And, uh, both of these guys, Roop and Malenko, Larry Simon, they had long histories of friendship, uh, knowing each other in the Florida Territory. Bob Roop went in the Florida Territory in 1969 and didn't leave to 1978. So, you know, for nine years, and that was Malenko's home. So both of these guys went to Tampa, Florida for these two weeks. And, uh, and both of these guys were kind of well-known, man, to be radical with their thoughts about Wrestling ownerships and uh, promoters making too much money and uh, and the the wrestlers not making enough money and uh, uh, and Larry Simon had been involved in uh, in trying to uh, to uh, cause a problem in the Florida territory at one time, so so you know uh, both are you know so these two shows in this studcast man are only four months away from the beginning of the Knoxville War, man. It's going to start in late May of 1979. So I'm, I'm suddenly asking myself, could this two-week period 
with both of these guys in Tampa together, mm-hmm. uh, and it could have been the start of the uh, of the push man to create this southeastern wrestling takeover plot in 1979. Wow. Okay. So this wrestling war really continues to be fascinating, Stud. Was it was it just coincidence? A coincidence that they were there, or was it as you just said, maybe the actual beginning? of the 1979 Knoxville war. So maybe we can get further into this on the next studcast. I sure hope we can right now. All right. Do you have time? Do you want to do a learning tree question? You up for that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely am my man. All right, let's do that. And I'm sorry about this, Ron, but we couldn't make out the gentleman's first name or where he was from, but we do know his last name is Gillen. Mr. Gillen says, I really enjoy your studcast. And hearing your recall, hearing your recall of the Southeastern TV shows, but I just wish Southeastern TV shows were on film. That would really be cool. <laughs> that kind of sounds like a, as much a statement as a question, Dave. Uh, but uh, Mr. Gillen, you know, uh, I, I think it was uh, Mr. Gillen. I think that was his last name. And I'm sorry we couldn't get his first name or or the city that he lives in. But it's a great question, you know. And uh, and I can boy, can I certainly identify with your frustration, Mr. Gillen? Because <laughs> uh, there's nothing I would make me happier than to have a copy of every Southeastern TV show I'd ever done. My gosh, man, <laughs> I have just been. Uh, working my rear off to, to find them. So, uh, as many as I can. So I have on many occasions, uh, attempted to explain this question to people, you know, as best I could, why I didn't keep a copy of each one of those TV shows, you know, and I, you know, when I explain it, I have reasons like, you know, the cost of those huge two inch videotapes that you had to record on back in the day was hundreds of dollars each. They weren't cheap, man. And in the 1970s and uh, in today's money, those, those would be well over a thousand, maybe even two thousand for one of those suckers, you know, in today's money. So, you know, you're talking about a lot of money if you're going to record all these shows on these big old tapes and keep them. And uh, then you have a problem if you were going to keep them is the where do you store these things, you know, because you, you want to save them and you got to put them in a perfect climate to prevent them from decaying over a period of time. So that's, you know, that was one of my answers. So, uh, you know, but I'll tell you what uh, the main reason was. And, and uh, Mr. Gillen, uh, I had no idea that after my family had been in the wrestling business for almost 70 years, that the long ride was about to end, man. And, and when it did, I had no idea that the business was going to become such a joke when, when McMahon got his hands on it. And, you know, I had no idea that fans were going to go crazy for all old school wrestling, simply crazy about it, you know, and they were crazy about it because it was good for one thing. And it, and it made them even crazier because it was gone, you know, so. Wow, it's 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 been a horrible experience for me to try to to try to do something about it, to, to recover as much of it as I can. So uh, so bottom line for for we old school fans, and that's what I am, too, just like you are, Mr. Gillen. Uh, uh, we cherish, man, what we have of the old days and uh, each old school TV show. Is absolutely precious, man. I mean, it's 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 it, there is no 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 limit to its value. And the bad thing about what we have left, especially on YouTube, is that those shows aren't shown in the order they were produced. And uh, you really can't appreciate a wrestling TV show uh, that doesn't tell a story to begin with, and then it uh, you know. Uh, and then it's so important that the story be relayed episode after episode as much as possible. So with my wrestling companies, I designed my TV shows to be basically kind of athletic soap operas, combining wrestling with the creative storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, and they were definitely meant to be watched in sequence. 
You don't watch them in just uh, some haphazard order. You see one from one year and one from the next. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you wanted to get the story as well as the action. Yeah. So I'm kind of proud, uh, Mr. Gillen, that, that, that we now have 78 original, full or partial Southeastern TV shows available, uh, starting with one complete show. The only one we have from Knoxville is a complete show from 1978. And uh, we have up to 78 of them that takes us through the end of 1983. That was the year that Bob Armstrong turned heel for the first time and the only time in his life. Those are classic 1983 stuff. Uh, and every one of those 78 TV shows that we have recovered uh, are there in the exact same order that they were released in. I wanted to make sure that that was the way it happened. It had to happen that way. You're not going to find that anywhere else out there, anywhere, nowhere. And uh, so we're going to be adding the 1984s and the 1985s up through the end of the Southeastern Wrestling Territory, which was in July of 1985. It became continental at that point. But when we add the 84s and the 85s, they are all going to be in exact sequence as well. So, uh, Mr. Gillen, uh, you no longer have to just wish Southeastern TV shows won't film. We've gone, we've turned back the time turn back the hands of time here, man. And we've made it possible for you to not only hear a description of the TV shows on all these stud casts, mm -hmm. but now you can see them as well, man. You know, I was wondering how you were going to end this learning tree question. Stud. You've done a remarkable job of providing fans with the real thing when it comes to TV shows. I know that you will not say it yourself, but I don't mind telling fans where to find these TV shows. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Hello. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel has everything you talked about, including Continental and USA TV shows, with so many more TV shows that are still coming. And the cool thing, as you said, these shows are all in order. And that's the way it was meant to be. All right, folks, on Facebook, go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud. Like and follow him there to become friends with a legend. No doubt about it. Okay, on Twitter, find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. And if you have not done so already, you can follow him there. His YouTube channel is Southeastern Rewind. His first YouTube-only Ask the Stud question and answer show is there. It's ready now for you to check out. So don't miss it. Or the next one on Saturday, February 18, 2023. Look for his post on Facebook and Twitter to leave your questions for the next one. It's going to be really cool. Check out the new short rides with the stud. New ones each week. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com is where you find everything that is the Tennessee stud. It is classic. It's old school wrestling. 78 Southeastern, 23 Continental, and 12 Gulf Coast TV shows are available, all in the order in which they were recorded. Hundreds more are coming. Okay, so you also have over 50 stud stories, six stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, and documentaries on Wendell Cooley, the Mongolian Stomper, and the Dirty White Boy, of course. All of this... Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year, plus the free one-week trial is still available. It is the best deal in wrestling. Okay, without a doubt, this has been another phenomenal ride, Stud, full of facts and history as they all are. 1979 is just beginning, so I can't wait to saddle up again next week. So where do we ride then? Well, let's start with the fact NWA champion Harley Race, man, is going to retire. Be returning to the stud cast in two weeks. Uh, Southeastern Knoxville next week has a great card, man. Uh, a one-day tournament with six teams to crown a new Southeastern tag champions. And a Southeastern title match between Ronnie Garvin and the returning great Malenko. With the winner getting not only the belt, but the shot at Harley Race the following week. A Southeastern Gulf Coast card 
was loaded just as well as the Knoxville card was. It had a tremendous one-night tournament to see who was going to meet Harley Race for the world title the following week. In that tournament was Bob Armstrong, former world champion Jack Briscoe, the Mongolian Stomper, Mr. Wrestling 2, Buzz Sawyer, and I was also in that tournament. Plus, on that same card was a Texas Death Southeastern Tag Championship match with the loser of the match leaving Southeastern. Uh, we'll also next week take another ride into the Memphis Territory uh, for the second event in Memphis, where Southeastern uh, this time is going to send eight wrestlers uh, instead of just seven. And uh, we'll discuss the effects of that on both of the territories as the Memphis Madness continues. So, you know, I want to thank everybody, as always, man, for joining us today. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week for more, obviously. And I hope you come back uh, with us again. Uh, Please take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production. For Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.